0: Welcome to the Compass Church. I wish I could be with you physically, but I'm unable. I'm celebrating the 50th wedding anniversary with my parents. But I'm very grateful to be with you via technology. And together we're going to continue our series called Artifact, Discovering How to Trust God. And it's time now for us to go back to my favorite museum welcome everybody welcome back to the university of chicago and the oriental institute back in 1930s this institute sent a bunch of archaeologists over to iran to the southern part of iran to the ancient city of persepolis persepolis was one of the two capitals of the ancient persian empire Back around 500 B.C., King Xerxes ruled the Persian Empire. And this bull, bull's head, came from the archaeological digs that the University of Chicago did in the palace of that ancient city. Do you remember Esther? Esther was the queen, the the wife of King Xerxes in the Bible. And so this... 10 ton solid granite bull's head decorated one of esther's homes and yet i find it hard somehow imagining esther saying i just love a 10 ton bull's head in my living room well though esther may not have picked it she must have looked at it often wondering how in the world did i end up in this place I, a daughter of the exiled Israel. You know, it's interesting, one of the other artifacts that they discovered in Persepolis is a large tablet, again, of this black or gray limestone, and on it is a, a list of many of the countries that were ruled by the great Xerxes, and one of those countries was Israel. And that's, again, where this Esther started her crazy journey. She started as an exiled prisoner of war. And yet she found herself going on this life journey and ending up the queen of the greatest empire in the world. I can only imagine Esther looking and wondering, Lord, how did this happen? What a crazy plan you have had for me. As crazy as God's plan was, we're about to find out that Esther trusted God's plan and believed that he knew what was best. Do you trust God's plan for your life? Have you ever gone through a department store and seen items of home decor that are just massive and thought to yourself, what kind of a house do they go in? Well, now that you've seen how Esther's palace was decorated, when you look at that bull's head, use your imagination Imagine what the palace must have been like. Folks, it was luxurious. Esther got her adoptive father, Mordecai, a position in the palace. And so I can imagine the two of them sitting at fancy tables, looking at each other saying, man, do we have it made or what? To give you just a picture of what the luxurious lifestyle in that palace was like, I want to read an account of a party that... Esther's husband, King Xerxes, a party that he threw. This is found in Esther chapter 1, verse 5. The king's banquet lasted for seven days, and it was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. The courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hangings, which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons, to silver rings embedded in marble pillars. Gold and silver couches stood on a mosaic pavement of crystal, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs, and there was an abundance of royal wine. Mm, I love this chair. It's a nice chair, isn't it? Leather is soft. It's cushy. It reclines. Huh? How about that? Well, we're going to use this chair to be for us a picture of the comfort zone. Everyone loves living in the comfort zone. The comfort zone is when life is nice, when it's going smoothly, when everything is pleasant, when you're not dealing with stress. People crave it. You know, what's interesting about this chair is, you may be aware, it's called a wingback chair. See these things here? These are called wings. I I did a little history study on the wingback chair. It was invented, oh, 300 years ago, back when... Uh, In England, houses were very drafty. And so the original function of the wingback chair was to collect and protect. It's really how you establish the comfort zone. You collect and you protect. What they would do is they'd wrap these wings around a person's head so that it would protect from cold drafts. You didn't want that cold air to blow on you, so this would protect. What would it collect? They'd pull it in front of the fireplace, and those wings would collect the warm air off of the fire. And You know, that's how we accomplish the comfort zone in life today. We collect and we protect. We collect as many good things for us. I want as much money, as much pleasure, as much fun activities for me and we protect. We shield ourselves from all things that will take or steal from us. We tend to be devoted to making sure our life stays in the comfort zone. You know, I believe that that was true of Esther and Mordecai. You may question where I get that, and I'd like to show you. As we look back at the scriptures, I think you're going to see that Esther and Mordecai had a passion for the comfort zone, and there's actually a couple pieces of evidence that point to that. The first would be their home, where they were living. Again, they were living in Susa, the city in the center of the Persian empire, when actually at that time in history, they were invited to go back to Israel had they wanted to. Remember, the Babylonian Empire was conquered by the Persians. And the very first Persian emperor was a guy by the name of Cyrus. And Cyrus invited the Israelites to return home if they wanted to. It says in Ezra 1.3, Cyrus speaking, he says, Any of you may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And a large number of the people journeyed back to God's country in Jerusalem. But Mordecai and Esther were part of the group that took a pass on that opportunity. You'd say, why wouldn't they do it? I mean, Israel is God's country. And and the thought of rebuilding God's homeland is an incredibly significant, uh, important task. And yet they took a pass on it? Comfort you got to remember that Israel was lying in ruins, burnt to the ground. And so those valiant souls that went back to Judah, they were going to be camping in tents. The farmland had to be started from scratch. The the walls had to be rebuilt. Everything was going to be difficult for that group. Now, those who stayed in Susa, it wasn't easy, but it was better than that. And so rather than looking for a life of significance... Mordecai and Esther were of the group that said, we'll take a pass, we'll stay here in Susa. Let me tell you another reason why I think they were devoted to the comfort zone. Uh, Here's what happened. So King Xerxes, king of Persia, he decided that he wanted to get a new wife. So he divorced his wife and he established a beauty contest desiring the most impressive Beautiful woman in all the land. And he sent his servants throughout all the villages and all the towns, and he said, You look for the most gorgeous women everywhere. And we're going to hold a beauty contest, and the winner becomes the queen of Persia. And this is when they found Esther. Esther was stunningly beautiful. And she was being entered into this beauty contest, and her father, Mordecai, he gave her some advice. Here's what he said in Esther 2.10. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Mordecai had directed her and said, hey, don't let anyone know you're Jewish. Uh, We can speculate as to the reasons why Mordecai uh, instructed her in this way. And you know what it comes down to? Protect and collect. Protect, protect her from persecution. The people were anti-Semitic. They persecuted the Jews. And so if word got out that this beautiful Esther was a Jew, she may be persecuted. And and, uh, Mordecai didn't want his precious daughter to have that painful experience. So he said, lied, cover up, don't let them know you're a Jew. The other reason I believe that Mordecai desired her to hide her Jewish origin was to collect collect the prize. She had a better chance of winning the beauty pageant if no one knew that she was a Jew. That was going to be a strike against her. And so the fact that Mordecai and Esther chose to take a pass on going back to Israel, the fact that they're hiding that they're Jewish, not wanting anyone to know so they can make life easy and potentially win the contest and get as much good stuff, it shows you that these two, like most, were devoted to comfort zone living. Rather than a life of significance outside of the comfort zone, they wanted life to be as easy as possible. Well, what happens next? Believe it or not, Esther wins the beauty contest. It says in Esther 2.17, the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen, queen of Persia, most powerful woman in all the world at that time. Everything was going good. Esther gave her father Mordecai a position within the government. So Mordecai got to live in the royal residence and they were enjoying life in the comfort zone. And then God, as he does, has a way of breaking in and messing things up. Unfortunately, the Lord is not nearly as devoted to comfort zone living as we are. And sure enough, God changes the circumstances to force Mordecai and Esther out of the comfort zone. Here's what happened. The bad guy enters the scene. His name is Haman. And Haman was brought up to the position of prime minister in Persia. That's second in command to King Xerxes. And Haman was nasty. He was evil to the core. And here's what he did. It says in Esther 3.2, All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. For so the king had commanded, but Mordecai refused to bow down. Oh, this is beautiful. This is a crisis that is changing Mordecai's life trajectory. Mordecai was in the service of the king, and everyone was told to bow in reverence, maybe worship of this Haman. And in the moment when Mordecai was supposed to bow before Haman, Mordecai said, I'm sorry, I I can't do it. He was compromising and compromising to a point. But when he saw these people bowing as a follower of the one true God, Yahweh, Mordecai said, I I, I just can't do it. Maybe he thought of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those men had lived when Mordecai's great-grandparents were around. They were told to bow before the golden idol. Do you remember that? And they refused. They stood courageously for their God even if it meant death. And in that moment, Mordecai had a crisis of faith. He said, I can't keep compromising. I can't keep hiding the fact that I follow God. I'm done. I'm abandoning the comfort zone. And I will not bow. Well, what happened? Things did not go so well for Mordecai. It says in Esther 3, six. Haman learned of Mordecai's nationality, and so he decided that it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. Do you realize this Haman is so evil and hates Jews so much That when Mordecai took a stand and said, I am Jewish and I will not bow, then this Haman said, well, then you will die and all Jews will die. Why this strong anti-Semitism? Why this hatred of Jews? Well, we actually can figure it out. It speaks of Haman as the Agagite. Agagite. An Agagite was a descendant of Agag. Agag was the king of the Amalekites. Way back earlier in the Old Testament, the Amalekites were the arch enemies of the Jewish people. They hated them. And so it turns out this Haman comes from a long line of Jew haters. And in this moment, this Mordecai who is refusing to bow has pushed him too far. And he figures out a way to get All of the Jews exterminated. I mean, we're talking like a Holocaust. We're talking somebody functioning like Hitler. This Haman goes to the king and persuades him to have a national edict set where on a particular day, all Jews will be executed. This is interesting. Sometimes we think that if we take a stand for God, well, then everything will go easy for us. Here this Mordecai has finally stepped out of the comfort zone. He's stepped out on a limb, and have things gone well? No, it's caused an absolute disaster. He and all his people are about to die. Well, what does Mordecai do? Mordecai goes to Esther, the queen. He comes to her and he says, Esther, we got a major problem The king has set an edict based on the request of Haman. They're going to kill all of our people. And he looks to his daughter, Esther, and he says, Esther, you must go to your husband and tell him that you're a Jew. Esther's like, what are you talking about, dad? You, You told me to hide it at all costs. And Mordecai says, I know what I told you. I was wrong. We can't live in the comfort zone anymore. Step out. Tell him the truth. Not only tell him you're a Jew, but beg for mercy. Beg for him to cancel the edict to kill our people. Well, uh, Esther understands how significant this request is. She says in verse 11 of Esther 4, She said, anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die. She says, Dad, you're asking me to do something that's a crime for me to barge in there. I know I'm his wife, but there's still rules. If I do that, that's a capital offense, and I die. Mordecai says, you got to do it, Esther. You got to do it. Here's what he says in verse 14. He says, Esther, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews, it will arise, but from some other place. Boy, that's good. What what Mordecai is saying is that he's studied the scriptures and the prophecies and he can't believe that this this crisis is going to end with the extermination of the Jews. He's seen God's promises that they will be the salvation of the world, bringing salvation to the world. And so he says to Esther, Esther, I believe that somehow God's going to save the day. He wants to do it through you. But if you won't step up, then God will do it through somebody else. He'll find another way. In other words, what Mordecai is saying is, Esther, you have the unbelievable privilege of being God's instrument to advance his cause. You can take a pass. You can take a pass. God's kingdom will roll on, but you won't be a part of its advance. Boy, that's so true for us too, isn't it? God's kingdom is going to advance in our world. The the church is going to advance because God said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The question at hand is, will we be a part of it or not? God wants to use us, but if we don't step up, he'll use somebody else. And so the question is, will we be passive in the comfort zone, afraid to step out and be used by God? Or will we have the courage to get in the game to be available for him to use in whatever way he wants. When you get to the end of your life, wouldn't it be sad if you realized you stayed in the comfort zone, you never stepped up when God prompted you to get in the game, to serve in church, to give of your resources, to tell a neighbor about Jesus. All these risky things, if you're committed to comfort, you're going to miss them entirely. You know, uh, a year ago on the 4th of July... We went as a family. We were in Michigan, and we saw this parade go by, and there were some little kids riding bikes decorated with streamers in the parade. And my son, seven at the time, couldn't just watch. He ran over, grabbed his bike, and the next thing I know, my son was in the parade, and I was chasing him. I guess I was in the parade, too, as I ran after him. Jake just couldn't be a bystander. He had to get in the action, I pray you feel that way about the advance of God's kingdom. Too many Christians are content to let others make the impact. Folks, we, like uh, the challenge that Mordecai gave, we need to say, no, it must be me. If God invites me to be in the game, I'm going to step up. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and follow his lead. Well, let's continue. In Esther 4, verse 14... Mordecai says to his precious daughter, Perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. <laughs> perhaps, Mordecai says, the whole reason you were made queen was to rescue God's people in this moment. Perhaps, Mordecai, Mordecai says, perhaps I was wrong. I thought that you becoming queen, you getting me a job, was also that we could enjoy the comfort zone. Perhaps God had a higher purpose. Perhaps the whole reason God blessed us with this life in the palace is so that we could use what he gave us to help him in his cause. (laughs) So many people assume that God blesses us just so that we can enjoy it and live life in the comfort zone, when all along God has blessed us so we can use that blessing in service to him. It reminds me of a time when I came home from work and there were a bunch of chocolate chip cookies sitting on a plate, and I was so excited, I just rushed over, grabbed one, started chowing down, assuming that, of course, my wife made it for the one she loves above all else. Well, turns out I was wrong. Jen says, what are you doing? I go, I'm eating the cookies you made for me. She said, those were not for you. Those are for some friends. And I was like, oh, they're in my house, you know? I just kind of assumed they were sitting there. I assumed they were for me. And that's how we are. We we are blessed. God gives us money, and God gives us talent, and God gives us time, and God gives us relationships. God gives us all these blessings. And we jump to the assumption, must be for me to enjoy. Now, there's a time and a place for us to enjoy the blessings of God. But God wants us to be committed to something higher than our own comfort, and that's the advance of his cause. Could it be? that these wonderful things that are in your life are there specifically to be used by God. Mordecai said, perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Folks, when you look at all the blessings in your life, they're not there just for us to enjoy a comfortable life. They're there to be given away to advance the kingdom. I have a friend named Jerry. Jerry's a Interesting guy. Just really enjoyed seeing God at work in his life. When Jerry uh, first entered my life, he was living in the comfort zone. Man, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone who had a more pleasant, comfortable life. Jerry was in the magazine publishing industry. He was a top executive in that industry, and as a result, he hobnobbed with movie stars, professional athletes, uh, models. Uh, He just was with the most beautiful, the most wealthy, the most impressive people. That was his life. Everything was about him getting more enjoyment. And then recently, he met Jesus Christ. Jesus has saved his soul, forgiven his sin, and given him a whole new perspective. Jerry said to me, Jeff, I feel like I've wasted my life. I've lived for me. And these days, God has been calling Jerry to step out of the comfort zone. So interesting. Jerry has recently started to give every single Saturday to the service of the hungry. He found a food pantry, and he spends his whole days on Saturdays loving on these people. They're not supermodels. They're not professional athletes. It's a very different group than Jerry's used to hanging out with. But he's grown to adore them. It was uncomfortable for him to step into that at first, but now it's home, and Jerry gives, and he serves. Jerry stopped spending his money all on him. He started tithing 10%, giving above the tithe. Jerry looks at his publishing skills, uh, and he says uh, to the churches around, is there any way you can use me? Jerry is now devoted to getting out of the comfort zone, ceasing to eat all the cookies and spend all his gifts on himself. And he's committed now to losing for the sake of the cause, to stepping out and doing whatever God would have him do. Well, let's go back to see how things ended up with Esther. This challenge was given to her by her dad, Mordecai. And Esther said in verse 16, Though it is against the law, I'll do it. I will go in to see the king, and if I must die, I must die. Old versions say, if I perish, I perish. That's somebody who's willing to step out of their comfort zone. They're going to follow Jesus, give their lives, even if it costs them everything. Isn't that beautiful? Well, Esther, in chapter 5 of verse 1, it says, she put on her royal robes, And she stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king. Boy, that standing's significant. Esther said, that's it, I'm gonna stand. I love that passage. It says that she stood there in front of the king. In that act, she was obeying God. In that act, she was risking her life. There's a lot to that standing, isn't there? As she stood, she was no longer in the comfort zone. When her dad, Mordecai, stood and refused to bow to Haman, he was standing in obedience to God, stepping out of his comfort zone. When my friend Jerry stepped out of his comfort zone and changed the way he lived and said, I'm going to live courageously for Jesus, he was standing. Folks, can I ask you a question? Are you standing? In fact, in this moment, I'd like to invite... Everyone, all of you at the 95th campus and all of you at Hobson, stand to your feet, would you? And as we stand to our feet, I want to acknowledge that this standing means very different things for different people. For some of us, we're just standing because I asked you to. Others are standing symbolically, maybe most, standing because we desire to quit living a life in the comfort zone. We don't want to get to the end realizing that we missed the point, that we pursued comfort to protect and collect. Instead, we want to live a life where we give, where we follow God, where we die to ourselves. And so in this moment, our standing is a demonstration of our resolve to follow God into whatever significant calling he may have us. Let's pray together as we stand. Lord, we are available. We are committed to not live this one life on planet